Hello, everyone. This is Jerry Lee, the co-host of Allergy Talk. You're listening to part two of our conversation regarding drug allergy with Dr. David Kahn. If you're listening to this first, scroll back to the previous episode and you can hear the beginning of our conversation. All right, let's get started. Please stay tuned to the end of this program or see the show notes for important information regarding today's speakers and the content of this podcast. Marin, I believe you have a stumper of a case for Dr. David Kahn. Yes, I'm just pulling it up. It's actually a consult that I saw a couple of months ago. And this was an elderly male who had infective endocarditis and was admitted with a pretty resistant bacteremia, was treated with vancomycin, ceftriaxone, and daptomycin, and developed pretty florid um, dress immunosuppressed, recovered, discharged on doxycycline, but developed breakthrough bacteremia while he was at home and readmitted. And they presumed it was the same infecting organism. And ideally, ID wanted to treat him with ceftarolin. And that was apparently the only option. How would you approach this patient? Uh, very carefully. Do <laughs> <laughs> you say anything more? Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, just out of curiosity in terms mm-hmm. of the what were the clinical features of that we said we're sure this was dress? How did we so he had, determine that? Yeah, so he had like, he met all of the registered criteria. He had the facial edema, high-grade fevers. His eosinophils were greater than 3,000. He had acute interstitial nephritis, which kind of made me feel like, oh, maybe this could have been vancomycin-induced. So he had all of I don't, yeah, I don't a very think high registrar score. Yeah. Yes. So they didn't do HHV testing, but everything else was, yeah. everything else fit. So just for people who are listening, the registrar scoring is one of the probably more popular ways that has been advocated to score patients with suspected dress. And you basically get points or you lose points depending on the different symptoms or laboratory features that you have. And then it will tell you this is very unlikely or more probable or highly likely. It gives you kind of a spectrum of the likelihood that this patient has dress. And I think most people do tend to use the registrar scoring system, although there are others out there. Dress is a clinical diagnosis, so I think it's helpful to have at least some validated scoring system. So this is a patient who had, uh, we were confident that had dress and was on three different antibiotics and the question is which which is the one that we think that caused this and where do we go from here so i think the one approach certainly in these dress patients is to you know, because i guess we'll talk about diagnostic testing but the first thing we always look at is the medications and there are certain medications that we know are higher risk for these kind of things and that those that are lower risk and so for dress the the list continues to get longer but, you know, some of the clearly high-risk medications would be the sulfonamides, the anticonvulsants, allopurinol, abacavir, hydroxychloroquine, et cetera. And probably amongst antibiotics, vancomycin, certainly in the U.S., there's good data to suggest vancomycin, the leading antibiotic cause of dress. So that is one that has been pushed up higher. Any, any antibiotic can certainly do it, and we certainly see it with cephalosporins as well. So daptomycin would probably be the, 
the least likely of, of the so you kind of sort of play the odds and say okay let's kind of stratify them so we'd probably put vancomycin at the top ceftriaxone maybe in the middle and daptomycin at the bottom and now is there a way that then we could say can we test for this and elizabeth phillips at vanderbilt and jason trubiano in australia are starting to look at delayed intradermal testing especially in patients with dress and they're finding that you know maybe a third of patients may have positive skin tests and the problem is if this is maybe you know, they've just recovered from the dress and now they need the antibiotic you're maybe in this window of it being too soon to do the testing etc so it, it does get tricky you you certainly want the patient to have recovered from it 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 might be something to think about. Let's say you do this and you get a positive with the vancomycin and everything else is negative. It might give you a little bit more reassurance mm -hmm. that something else could be used. So that would be one approach. If it's all negative, you haven't lost anything and you're, you're no better than where you were to begin with. So a negative test really mm -hmm. doesn't help you. A positive test may be helpful. One thing about vancomycin testing, and this may be true for other drugs as well, as we talk about non-irritating skin test concentrations mm -hmm. all the time, non-irritating skin test concentrations are typically thought of in the context of immediate drug reactions. And vancomycin is a, is a great example where at higher concentrations, it is very irritating. You will certainly get a, a wheel and flare response. And we think that's probably likely due to activation of the MRGPRX2 receptor. Right. Now, it, with, if you're looking for a delayed reaction, maybe you do want a higher concentration. So they will have an immediate wheel and flare response, but you don't really care about that. Right. You're interested in what's happening 24, 48 hours. We're starting to see some publications about suggestions for pushing up the non-irritating concentrations when we're looking right. to do these delayed intradermal tests. So that's something also to, to think about. If we say that this was a reaction to ceftriaxone, and then we say, well, okay, now we're going to be using a cephalosporin that has a different R1 group. Well, what do we know about that? What do we know about uh, cross-reactivity with any form of SCAR amongst these? And the answer is not much. I'm shocked that there isn't more literature about that. And I think the reason behind that is when someone gets labeled with SCAR, and if it's a beta-lactam, you just avoid all beta-lactams. And I think most people feel that that is probably too conservative. And we're starting to see some emerging literature that suggests that maybe some of the same classification things we're using for immediate allergy may apply to T-cell mediated reactions. But honestly, are the epitopes the same? We really don't know. But I think mm -hmm. if push came to shove, at the end of the day, it's always about if I don't do anything, is it going to patient die? And what's the risk of treating sure. and, and, and things like that? So I think you right. do your best and then you try and minimize risk as much as possible. And I think you can take some of these principles knowing that there's not a lot of solid foundation, but that it makes some degree of sense. We've, we've got a lot to learn about these reactions and cross-reactivity, and I'm optimistic that in the next 5, 10 years, we'll have more information to be making wiser decisions than just avoid everything. Uh, because, for example, for this patient, that's not an option.
Right. So the way we approached this case was sort of um, just how you outlined. We thought about doing intradermal testing and possibly even patch testing with dermatology help for vancomycin and uh, cephalosporin, but then decided that based on the recent review on cephalosporin allergy that was just published in Jackie in practice, that the diagnostic yield of doing testing for cephalosporin specifically would be extremely low. And also, this was a situation where the patient was actively bacteremic and decompensating. So we actually went ahead and challenged him with the ceftorolin. He eventually grew out something that was different from his original index organism that was sensitive to penicillin. And we just did a straightforward switch to penicillin without any further testing. And it's been a month now, and he's, he's, he, did, he did fine. Awesome. That's great. The other thing that down the road might help us in this situation is the fact that there has been a new genotype that's been identified for vancomycin address, HLA-3201. So this is, again, work by Elizabeth Phillips' group. And they are in the process of trying to develop perhaps a point-of-care test that might be helpful in these situations. So they're actively working on that. And so maybe in a few years, wouldn't that be nice in this situation to do that, find out that the patient has this genotype, makes them at much higher risk, and then you'd feel so much more comfortable about using these other things. But uh, I think your approach was a, a sound approach, and obviously it sounds like it worked out very well. Yeah, and another thing that was noted in their article by Tribiano and Phillips was that intradermal testing in the case of dress was actually safe and was not associated with any breakthrough reactions, even when performed early on after the original episode. And that was another thing that made me hesitate a little bit was whether testing would be even valuable in this patient given his very recent episode of dress, but we we didn't go that route anyway. Yeah. I think that's a great point to bring up is the safety of these tests, because that is something that is still, I guess, even debated because we we look at the kind of recent controversies and allergy report, which was sort of an amalgamation of U.S. and European and other authors. And what do we agree upon and what don't we agree upon? And there's still a lot of uncertainty about intradermal drug testing and they label it for patients with SGSTEN that it's uh, considered contraindicated. And for dress, it's sort of in there, but say we don't know. And so we're starting to see most of the literature on dress patients that it does seem to be relatively safe, although, again, small numbers. And there you can find case reports of patients who've had reactivation of dress from intradermal drug tests, but that's uncommon. Patch testing also was initially thought to be of concern for the same reason, but a study by Barbeau with Mm -hmm. patch testing in a larger series of patients with SGSTN showed that it it did appear to be safe. So at least that's one thing that's helpful is knowing that we're not, the likelihood of causing harm from our diagnostic testing is low. And if you find a positive, I think it, it can be helpful. Again, we still don't know are these tests, do, are they really linked to causality? We'd like to think so, but it's, it's, it's difficult because no one's obviously wanting to challenge people with these severe drug reactions just to, to prove whether this test is meaningful or not. Sure. Right. To me, I look at either delayed intradermal or patch testing is it's better than nothing, which is sort of what we mm-hmm. have right now. 
nothing is our history and the history and things like can get you this far. And if that adds another layer that can help with your medical decision making, great. I tend to prefer the delayed interdermal test because it's so much easier. We're used to it as an allergist. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get the drugs. Mm-hmm. Patch testing, unlike in Europe where they have access to commercial patch tests for all sorts of different antibiotics and drugs, uh, we don't have that. So you have to go to the pharmacist and they have mm-hmm. to weigh it out and mix it. And, and it's just much more cumbersome. Which is better, I don't think anyone really knows. The only time I would say that patch testing is clearly superior than delayed intradermal would be for the AGEP reactions right. where patch testing really seems to be superior. Otherwise, I don't, think, I don't think we really know for sure one way or another. So how do you even do a patch test? Because like you said, <laughs> there are approved pharmaceutical preparations in Europe, but I just wouldn't even know how to go about it. Yeah, so we have we've always u- utilized the help of our pharmacists because all these patch tests are based on a percentage. Is a, a, so you need to weigh the drug, and if you have a scale that's precise enough in your office that you could weigh this out, I suppose you could do that. But that's what you need. You basically need a scale and you put it in petrolatum. Uh, unfortunately, I would say for a lot of drugs, we do have non-irritating patch testing. For severe cutaneous adverse reactions, many people recommend starting at a 1% concentration and then working up to either 10% or in some cases 30%. But again, it is so much more cumbersome compared to doing the late intradermal, which is just really easy. That I think is one of the bigger reasons why patch testing is so infrequently used in this country because it adds multiple layers of complexity to it. So looking forward to us talking about the toolkit for the allergists in terms of testing with patch testing or intradermal. We mentioned pharmacogenomics and doing HLA typing. Do you see any other tools in the future may come on the pike that help us evaluate these patients? Yeah, I think one of the things that if you look at a lot of research articles on drug allergy, you'll see plenty of publications about in vitro testing. So, for example, things like the lymphocyte transformation test, which in many research labs works pretty well for DRESS. The problem is what works for one research lab may not work for another research lab. And then what about for a commercial assay? I do think there's opportunity for some of these things. There's an Ellie spot assay that's being looked at for a uh, 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 dress uh, and has shows some promise. They were able to identify some cases that were even negative on skin testing. But I think what we need as a community is we need the test source to be validated in the research studies. And then that same test be commercially available and validated. So Yes, you can you know find some of these tests, and they're done in other countries too. We are going to have a statement about in vitro testing regards to delayed drug reactions and the updated parameter, and I think it's going to say it's not ready for prime time. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that uh, I think there's some optimism that there may be some tests that that can get there, but to me. We're not ready yet for that. Now, if you have your own institution that's developing an assay, great. That's fantastic. But if you're trying to uh, do this on the fly or order from some commercial lab, I'd be cautious. 
Wow, that was an amazing discussion. I learned a ton. A really challenging problem, especially Marin's second case, sort of illustrates the conundrum we get on the consultation service. So framing this conversation and giving us the the warning signs to what to look out for and the approach, and then the diagnostics and how to do the challenge protocols were all very helpful. Oh my goodness, I really appreciate your time, Dave. This is really great podcast. And I don't know, is there anything else, Baron, you want to add? No, thank you so much. Like we are so grateful for your time. Oh, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. If you did enjoy this podcast as well, please send us your feedback, corrections, and of course, suggestions for other topics. Again, this topic was selected by our listeners. So you would email that feedback to Allergy Talk one word at acaai.org. And of course, please rate our podcast on iTunes. I appreciate your wonderful feedback and we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful day, everybody. The ACAAI is presenting this podcast for educational purposes only. It is not medical advice or intended to replace the judgment of a licensed physician. The college is not responsible for any claims related to the procedures, professionals, products, or methods discussed in the podcast, and it does not approve or endorse any products, professionals, services, or methods that might be referenced. Today's speakers have the following disclosures. Doctors Lee and Kalangara have nothing to disclose. Dr. David Kahn has received royalties for being editor of a book on drug allergy testing by Elsevier.